From WFUV News, I'm Rebecca Gutierrez, and this is She Was, She Is, a podcast series exploring how women have advanced in music, politics, business, and sports. Each week, we'll speak with industry professionals to learn about the struggles and successes of women in their field. On today's episode, we're looking into women in government. Later on in the show, we'll talk with New York Assemblywoman Rebecca Seawright about her experience as one of only a few women serving in elected office in Albany. And one of my favorite quotes is Susan B. Anthony said, we'll never have complete equality until women themselves help to make laws and elect themselves lawmakers. So I think it's so important that women have a seat at the table. But first, my interview with Marty Speranza Wong, the executive director of the organization Amplify Her, which works to address the underrepresentation of women in New York's elected offices. Marty, thank you so much for being here with me this morning. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it, Rebecca. Our conversation started with a discussion of what inspired Marty to start her organization. So we started back in 2018, and uh, there were a group of, of co-founders. Many of us had uh, worked on campaigns, volunteered on campaigns, uh, run for office, and I think we all encountered similar frustrations in terms of uh, the hurdles that exist for women running for uh, office here in New York City. And through that frustration, we came together and had a lot of discussion about how we might be able to change things. Um, What we were seeing is that so often uh, when there's an open seat, there's sort of an anointed one. And that tends to be um, someone that oftentimes is male, oftentimes is white. And it's really hard to sort of overcome um, that uh, being more of a grassroots candidate. So our thought was, you know, mobilizing people um, around the city to better understand where there were these opportunities to really invest people power. Um, in grassroots campaigns that we could move the needle. At the federal level, women make up just 23% of House members and 25% of Senate members. Marty told me about specific obstacles that contribute to this shocking underrepresentation of women in elected office. Yeah, I think women have a a number of of challenges when they're running for office. Women are, you know, 15 times more likely to be responsible for childcare at home. Um, They often underestimate their own qualifications. So studies show that women on average need to be asked to run seven times before they actually take that leap. And then, like I mentioned, the issues that are there, the systemic issues. I mean, what we found is so many women's organizations really focus on the let's motivate women to run, which is really important. But once there is that pipeline of candidates, sometimes there fails to be the support in place to get them over the finish line. So it's not enough to champion women and say, let's, you know, let's encourage you to run. Let's have training so that you're prepared to run. If ultimately they're up against uh, a machine, an establishment that is overwhelmingly uh, male and uh, what always, I think, inspired us um, and drove us uh, to really fight for change is the fact that, you know, New York City certainly fancies itself very progressive. And I think most people would imagine that, you know, we're, we're obviously a very blue city. And because, you know, Democrats are in control, that we maybe Um, would be doing better. Um, But when you look at the numbers, it's not at all the case. I mean, if you look at 
city council now, it's 76% male. Helen Rosenthal, a council member, uh, had a few years ago put out a study and she looked at um, basically the 100 most populated cities across America and their city councils and women um, comprised 34% of those city councils, just looking at large cities, conservative and progressive, um, and we're at 24%. Really, I mean, if you look at um, who are the community organizers, who are the volunteers powering campaigns, women are very much um, overrepresented. Um, we're out there in the marches, we're out there volunteering on campaigns, we're the community organizers. And then when some of us put up our hand and said, we think you know, we're, we're in a position where we can contribute more and we want to um, be in a position where we can shape legislation. Um, you know, oftentimes the, uh, the sort of establishment uh, isn't so welcoming to that, um, despite, you know, being progressive. And I think that's, that sort of uh, hypocrisy is the word, um, needs to be called out. We need to recognize it. It's not enough to say you want uh, women in positions of um, uh, power. You have to, uh, sometimes it requires people stepping aside and encouraging that, and it's frustrating. Marty's organization sees firsthand how these obstacles deter women from winning elections and even running for office in the first place. She told me about what Amplify Her does to combat them. Part of what we do is education and making sure that people are aware that there is this uh, challenge and helping you know voters understand once they're at the polls, it's like they need to understand why it's important to support women. And, and we're, we've never, as an organization, just been about getting a women, woman in office. It's really about finding the women who have the courage to challenge the machine, who will fight for causes that are important. Once women are in office, the laws that are passed change significantly. Marty told me about these legislative changes that occur when women are equally represented in government. We know statistically, studies show that women in office are much more likely to put forward legislation that champions not only women, but but children and families. And um, we've seen that, um, you know, I'll give one example. We had, like I mentioned in our initial slate, um, Alessandra Biaggi, Catalina Cruz. I mean, when they um, then were in office, you saw them, you know, speak up very powerfully for the Child Victims Act. Um, that had been um, blocked from coming to the Senate floor for a decade. And they, and, and other women electeds were able to, to push that through. And you look at that situation, and I would contrast it with what you've seen going on in the Manhattan DA's office, where you know powerful sexual predators have gotten away essentially with a slap on the wrist. It's not just, oh, it would be nice to have women in office. Women in office will legislate differently and prioritize issues that are important uh, for women, and we're 52% of New Yorkers, so it's very <laughs> important that our voices are heard and our experiences are reflected in, in those of our, our leaders who are there to represent us and champion the causes that we care about. Legislation that benefits families aren't the only laws that are more likely to be passed when women are in office. 
they also introduce way more bills that deal with women's health. A study from Georgetown found that liberal female legislators at the federal level co-sponsored an average of 10.6 bills related to women's health. That's an average of 5.3 more than their liberal male colleagues. These women would not be where they are without the courage of women who came before them. I asked Marty, who were among the trailblazing women in government? I think uh, there's so many amazing women um, that have paved the way. Um, Our organization, Amplify Her, we actually launched in the old campaign headquarters of Shirley Chisholm. Um, So we were in Brooklyn and it was it was such a great testament to, you know, the the women that came first that opened doors and, and put it out there is this is possible and showing that it doesn't even require you know winning your election to to really change things and and um, I think you know what she was able to do um, obviously you know Ruth Messinger and Ronnie Eldridge and um, Bella Abzug there were so many women trailblazers but I think even more recently if we look at um, the women you know I keep going back to 2018 but I think that was really a year where in New York politics things pivoted and you look at the race that AOC ran, that changed the playbook entirely. I mean, she was very directly, right, taking on a a party boss, winning with boots on the ground, working hard, getting a message out and showing that um, incumbents don't have a right to be in office forever. And in these seats where there aren't uh, term limits, you know, it was an important message to send. Uh, and that inspired, no doubt, you know, what we've seen even just this past year, there, there were so many women, um, women and men, um, but a, a lot of women stepping up to the plate and challenging incumbents, both in the, the state assembly and state senate. I also asked Marty what names we should know of up and coming women who are the next generation of trailblazers. There are about 111, if my count is correct, women running for city council in the cycle. So there are far too many to name that are um, that are throwing the hat in the ring and a lot of superstars. Um, we're going to be announcing our slate soon and we'll be talking a lot about the women that we're getting behind and, and why we're doing that. Um, but I will say that uh, you know, in the mayoral race, there is a lot of, uh, you know, men getting a lot of the media attention and so forth. We hosted a forum back in December with Maya Wiley and Diane Morales and Lori Sutton and Catherine Garcia. Uh, these are four outstanding women. I mean, you have an army general, you have, uh, you know, people who run city agencies, Um, you have a civil rights uh, attorney and and leader, Um, they shouldn't be dismissed, none of them. And I I would really recommend for voters to, you know, to look harder at these candidates that are sort of just under the radar. For this year's election, New Yorkers are doing ranked choice voting. This allows voters to rank candidates instead of just voting for their top choice. Marty told me about how this new system of voting provides an opportunity for more women to be elected. We have a real opportunity this year with ranked choice voting. Uh, You're showing up to the polls and you can vote for five different candidates. Um, We should not uh, miss the chance to, you know, express our, our preferences. And, you know, with ranked choice voting, one of the exciting things about it is that studies show that it does favor 
uh, women and people of color. And so uh, I am optimistic we'll see a positive uh, impact in implementing this, but of course it requires participation from the voters. We don't want people showing up like they did in, in the special election um, in District 24 uh, for City Council out in Queens where you know, most of the voters ended up um, you know, bullet voting, just going in and, and identifying their first choice. Uh, Amplify Her has actually used ranked choice voting for our endorsement vote. Um, for years and so it's interesting because I've seen on the back end um, we use uh, a software that does it automatically but it's always interesting to see through the different rounds of voting because if you don't get that 50% threshold initially it goes you know uh, it drops the last and um, redistributes the the other votes second choices are very important I think it changes uh, the way candidates should be campaigning and it certainly is something that voters uh, should take advantage of when they show up at the polls on June 22nd uh, if you you know want to see a woman in these seats, make sure that you know you're not just uh, putting your top choice, but that you're you're ranking um, the other women as well, like your one through five. Um, I think that can really make a difference this year. Marty doesn't think that women are the only ones who need to fight for equality. She thinks men also have an important role to play. You bring up such a good point because it's not just about women caring. I mean, I think especially when you uh, take into account, like I mentioned earlier, that women are more likely to introduce legislation that benefits women and families. And that's something that not just women should care about, but of course, everyone should, uh, you know, prioritize. And so I do think men have a really important role, uh, both in supporting women candidates and also for those men that are in elected office. Most of these positions are held by men and I would hope more of them really take, uh, take make the effort to mentor young women um, when their terms are up. You know, make sure that there are women who are um, prepared to come into to these roles because too often what we see is that uh, the the anointed one sort of the the pick uh, and oftentimes in, when when people are leaving office they they have a preference about who's coming in behind them it's often someone who looks very much like themselves and we need to recognize that that bias and address it. I mean, if you look at city council, representation of women actually was 18 women in council out of 51 members, and this was back in 2009. So we've been moving the wrong direction, and sometimes people question, why, you know, why isn't there a larger pipeline for women running for some of these citywide offices? It's really difficult when the pipeline is so heavily weighed, um, you know, towards male representation, um, because that is where usually candidates are coming from. They're coming from either city council or um, state legislature. So um, we do have to make these decisions, not only as voters, but people in, in positions of power have a responsibility um, to help open those doors, especially because um, when we look at representation in New York, most of these male elected officials would say that they do uh, want to see representation, but 
sometimes there isn't a willingness to sort of enable that and help women uh, candidates along the way, which of course is essential for, for their success. I finished our conversation by asking Marty if she sees cause to be optimistic that women will be equally represented in the future. I definitely see a cause for optimism. Uh, just in the last two years, we've seen so many cases. I've highlighted a few, but there are really countless women who have stepped up, have run amazing campaigns, have had these upset victories because people didn't necessarily give them the credit they were they were due. Um, and what we've seen through that um, is that it's possible that, you know, again, being outspent, not having the name recognition doesn't mean you're out of the game. So I, I'm very optimistic because I think we have a, a really talented group of women that are stepping up to the plate in 2021. And I have no doubt there'll be a lot of amazing success stories coming out of this cycle. Um, the work will not be done. <laughs> the cycle certainly um, will have a you know, challenge uh, moving forward, but I think the needle will be moved significantly. I want to thank you so much for joining me this morning. This has been really great. Thank you so much, Rebecca. It was great to talk to you. Thank you for having me on. And now my interview with New York State Assemblywoman Rebecca Seawright. She was born and raised in Texas, and her passion for politics began at an early age. Today, she represents Manhattan's 76th district in Albany, where she serves on a number of committees and chairs the Women's Task Force. Thank you so much for, for joining me this afternoon. I really appreciate you, you taking the time. Thank you, Rebecca, for having me. I started our conversation by asking her what she thinks is the biggest challenge for women who want to serve in elected office. So in, in New York State right now, we do not have campaign finance. Uh, like we do at the city level and like some other states have. And so I think we need more women in elected office. And I think one of the real challenges is fundraising. And women are very often uh, balancing childcare and uh, caring for an elderly. And so it's a, it's a real balance to be able to raise the necessary funds to get your message out, to get elected. And if women don't have exposure to it and they're not used to the one that's signing that check and that political donation to a campaign or candidate, then it's much harder uh, for women in general to raise money. This year is the year of the woman. We've seen the first woman, the first woman of color uh, elected as vice president of the United States. And that is just shattering a major glass ceiling. And so I am so thrilled to see now that we have 55 women serving in Albany. Uh, that's the highest number ever. And we have our first female vice president. The Assemblywoman has seen firsthand how legislation changes when women are equally represented. Here's what she had to say about the importance of female representation in government. So I think that, um, you know, Susan B. Anthony, and yesterday we passed a resolution uh, for Susan B. Anthony Day in the state of New York and the legislature, and I co-sponsored and spoke on the resolution. And one of my favorite quotes is Susan B. Anthony said, we're never have complete equality until women themselves help to make laws and elect themselves lawmakers. So I think it's so important that women have a seat at the table. And Shirley Chisholm, who was a black congresswoman from Brooklyn was very famous and said, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. And so a prime example is in Albany, it was controlled when I first got elected by three men in a room. 
the head of the Independent Caucus, the Republican Senate, and the Democratic Assembly, even though we had a woman Democratic leader in Andrea Stewart-Cousins. And I thought that all the women should bring a folding chair and park it right outside those budget negotiations and support uh, that Andrea Stewart-Cousins, the senator, esteemed senator and majority leader of the Senate, should have been allowed in that room. So I'm very pleased today that the Independent Caucus, the IDC, no longer exists, and that it is a woman in the room, majority leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, negotiating at the top for the Senate the budget, uh, as well as our finance chairs. And in the assembly, Speaker Carl Hastie has broken so many records. He's appointed the first woman chair of the Assembly uh, Ways and Means Committee, which is com comparable to the Senate Finance Committee, which is chaired by my state Senator Liz Kruger. He also appointed the first woman and the first woman of color to be the majority leader, which is the position right under him, Crystal People Stokes. So I really admire Speaker Hasty, in that he is appointing women in Albany to record numbers of firsts in so many leadership positions in the legislature. Many women came before Assemblywoman Seawright who motivate her to fight for change. Some of her biggest inspirations come right from her home state of Texas. Of course, Ann Richards, the governor of Texas, was a huge inspiration to me. I had the honor of working for her on her campaign. She started out as a local county commissioner, graduated from high school in Lacey Lakeview. She was a year ahead of my mother in high school. And while the high school was so big, they passed each other in the hall. They really didn't know each other. It's fun to look at my mother's uh, yearbook. And there is Ann Richards. She was a mother of four kids. She was the campaign manager for Sarah Weddington, who is a dear, dear friend and mentor and former boss and someone that I'm in touch with on a regular basis. Sarah Weddington argued Roe versus Wade at age 32 and re-argued the case at age 33 that legalized abortion in the United States and gave women the choice on whether to terminate a pregnancy or not. Ann Richards got her start by volunteering on Sarah Weddington's campaign when she was elected the first woman state legislator from South Austin. And so these two women are huge influences on my life, as well as Barbara Jordan and Molly Ivins. Um, in New York, I think about Geraldine Ferraro and was recently given the Fearless Girl Award by Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney, uh, named after Geraldine Ferraro. And that was a huge honor for me. I had been a delegate to the National Democratic Convention the year that Geraldine Ferraro was nominated as Vice President of the United States. And so there's just so many women that have come before us, and I feel that we stand on their shoulders. As we finished up our conversation, I asked the Assemblywoman if she had any words of wisdom for women who want to hold an elected office. I say definitely do it. I look forward to the day when we have more women in elected office than we do men. And we'll say, what do we need to do to get a man elected to office? It's controlled by the women. You know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, in order to have every single constitution but ours, in the United States has an equal rights amendment. And we're never gonna have complete equality until women are recognized 
in the United States Constitution. So while I'm trying to pass it at the state level, so we add it to the New York State Constitution, I look at Ruth Bader Ginsburg as such a champion, such a champion. And you know, I often, when I'm in difficult situations in Albany, I think, how would Ruth Bader Ginsburg look at this problem, or how would she handle it? And that gives me inspiration to keep fighting and moving forward and passing more additional legislation that helps not just women and families, but helps all of society. Thank you so much for, for speaking with me today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to She Was, She Is. Coming up next, we will focus on women in the business industry with the organization Women Entrepreneurs NYC and businesswoman Grace Ramirez. Our music is courtesy of bensound.com. I'm Rebecca Gutierrez.